Amazing words. That almost got a round of applause in itself, didn't it? Just the, just the reading this morning gets a round of applause. And we should. We should thank God so much for his word uh, to us. It's been a privilege to be able to dig into this this week. Um, good morning, by the way. I haven't said good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's good to be together this morning. My name's Mark, one of the ministers here. And it has been a privilege and a challenge as, as we've probably all been challenged as we're digging into Romans together, a privilege and a challenge to look at God's this word this week. And we are carrying on uh, looking at the, the verses in Romans. These words that, if you remember, back in chapter 1, are here to give us confidence in the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And today we're going to continue in our confidence in the gospel, our confidence in Jesus, as we come to these passages in Romans 3 and 4. If you've got a Bible, I'd really encourage you to have a look at it, if it's on your phone or a physical Bible. Um, we're going to focus on two, two parts to this uh, amazing passage, these deep passages this morning. But before we dig into that, I'd like you just to watch a video um, my son Callum really likes bouldering and we've been using this climbing a, a, a mountain metaphor as we, as we dig into Romans and um, Callum often goes, Dad, look at this video, this one's crazy, look how bonkers this one is. So I thought I'd show you a bon- bonkers climbing video. This is a chap called Alex Honnold and um, it's from a film called Free Solo. Um, he's climbing, just to give you some perspective, he's climbing a rock face that is two, about two times the height of Ben Nevis, sort of two and a half thousand metres, something like that, and he's climbing it. Just, just have a little look at this, just to, just to take it in. There's no music, but you'll just hear, <laughs> hear the anxiousness as he climbs and the peace and the, I don't know how he does it. Have a look, I'm waffling. <laughs> That was, that was amazing to be able to watch you. Some of you are like, oh, this is amazing. Others, you were like, oh, I can't look, I can't look. And obviously he does make it to the top of this climb. It's an amazing film, if you want to watch it, of what human beings can do when they commit to something, when they go for it. You probably noticed quite early on, that guy had no ropes. No ropes. That's why it's called free solo. This guy climbs and he's like, yeah, it's, it's only dangerous because if I haven't practiced, then you could see the chalk where he's been before. He'd practiced that route over and over again with ropes. And then he did it, the full climb without ropes. Amazing. That move that he did where he put his foot out and grabbed onto that sort of vaguely bit of boulder, that move in a climb is called the crux. The crux. The biggest move, the bravest move. Once you get past the crux, it all becomes easy. It's the pinnacle point. It's where... (laughs) Not for me. (laughs) But the idea is, the word crux is where we get our word crucial from. It's the crucial move. It's the most important move. Interestingly, the Latin for crux is where we get our word cross from. Today, we're seeing the crux of the gospel, the heart of the gospel. We're coming to the most important move. We're coming to the moment where we see the cross. Different writers have said of this passage, Professor Cranfield calls this passage that we're digging into the heart 
the centre and heart of the letter of Romans. Another professor says this, it's possibly the single most important paragraph ever written. What a privilege to be able to come and open God's word and dig into possibly the single most important paragraph ever written. And here we are. We're beginning our climb. I'm so thankful for what God's doing amongst us in this church, what he's doing in your life and in my life. We've started on this journey. We've looked at the gospel, this quick overview at the beginning. And last week, God was at work in our lives, wasn't he? As we gathered and we looked at ourselves in the mirror and we saw who we are. We saw that we are sinners. We saw that we are loved by a God who doesn't want us to be taken. He's a jealous God who is hungry and he's desperate for us not to be stolen and taken from this world. And I'm so thankful that we met with God in that place. And some of us met with God for the first time last week in this place. I'm so thankful for God that when we look at who we are and then we look at Jesus, we go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And that's what we're going to start doing today. We're going to start the climb. We're going to start this climb of salvation, coming out of the pit, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at that diamond. Matt used that image last week of sometimes the black cloth is our lives that seems dirty and sinful, nothing like the holiness and pureness of God. And yet today we're going to stare at that diamond. We're going to look at it in its beauty, in its detail, as it shines brightly. Lord, show us Jesus today. Jesus, reveal to us the crux, the cross, who you are, the vital, most important part of our lives, the way of salvation. I'm going to pray before we dig into this. Lord, we're just humbled today. As we sung last week, Lord, we're humbled by your majesty. And Lord, you did humble us. You humbled me. You humbled each and every one of us as we looked at who we are in the light of who you are, God. But today, we just say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross and all that it brings, the life that it brings. And I pray this morning, by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us the power of of your cross again in our lives, Lord. We wouldn't just know it in our heads, but Lord, would you transform our lives as we are convicted by the joy and the power and the grace of the cross, of your salvation. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Great stuff. So here we go. Here's the title this morning. We are still carrying on in this series from the Bible Society. Lots of you are following it in your life groups. Lots of you are digging into it. I'm so encouraged of the journey God's taking us on. So today we're looking at salvation. What's so amazing about grace? We're going to look at two kind of questions. How can a just and holy God declare sinners to be righteous? And how does this enable me and you to live out this adventure of faith? So the first part of that, how can a just and holy God declare people like me and you, sinners, to be righteous? And it got me thinking, is this a question that we just ask in church, or is this, is this a question that our friends, our family, our neighbours, our colleagues are asking? Are there people around us that are saying, oh, how, how can I be made right with God? 
maybe we look at other people and we think, wow, they seem all right. They, they, they don't seem to need to be made right with God. This guy looks very cheesy, doesn't he? <laughs> he looks very smug and happy with himself. People seem to be all right. They seem to have everything they look. The world looks great if you look in the right places and look on social media and see the smiles and the, whoop, it all pops and looks amazing. And yet sometimes we talk to people and we know and we sense that they're not okay. There's a deep emptiness in people's lives. People are tired of being tired. (laughs) There's the grind of life. People are still asking, and maybe we're still asking sometimes, is there more to life than this? That's what we said in Alpha two weeks ago. That's our opening question. Is there more to life than this? And are people still asking that question? I believe they are. They might not say it to your face. (laughs) They might not come up to you and go, oh, I'd love to know more about Jesus. But in the heart of each and every one of us, there's a void, there's a gap. And actually, I sense that people want to know what it means to have peace and to be right with God. I often seem to get interruptions. I don't know if you have this. My interruptions often seem to happen when I'm having a shower. (laughs) It's always the way, isn't it? You're mid-shower, you're mid-doing something, you're just about finished, shampoo's still in your hair, and the interruption comes. There's a knock on the door. And um, my lovely dog, Hamish, loves greeting people. So he starts barking. It's all going off. I'm there trying to get out of the shower, super speedy, trying to get the dog out of the way, get to the front door, open the door to see what this important interruption is. And it's just a package that's been left. There's no one there. Everyone's gone. And I've made all that effort to clamber out of the shower to see just a package that's been left. Brilliant. What's Fiona ordered now? Um, sorry. <laughs> however, however, sorry, Fee. Sorry, Fee. What have I ordered now? Um, <laughs> um, however, this package that I received last week was a gift. It was a gift. It was a gift from a f- good friends of ours that had sent us a lovely post-Christmas hamper. We didn't get to see them at Christmas, and they remembered us, and they gave us a gift. That gift was an interruption, but that gift was just what I needed. It was a reminder from a friend that I was loved and valued and cared for. As Paul starts to speak now, he starts with these words in verse 21. But now. Here comes the interruption. Here comes God breaking in. We've heard the problem last week. Now we come to verse 21. But now. God is breaking in. God is doing something new. Here is the gospel. Here comes the good news. This is the interruption. This is the gift that we all need. The righteousness of God has been made known. The righteousness of God has been made known. God's divine character has been revealed to you and to me. God's nature in himself. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is forgiving. He is merciful. This is our God. In Romans 1 verse 17, Paul already has told us what the gospel reveals, that it reveals the righteousness of God. Now Paul is ready to tell us why this is such good news. Paul is insisting that this fresh revelation, this fresh Good news is happening, and it's happening, you'll see it in there in verse 
22 is happening apart from the law. That means it's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the people of Israel. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the righteousness of God is for all people, Jews, Gentiles, the whole world. This is good news. This is great news. Yet, at the same time, the gospel is fulfilling the law. The law was the Torah, the Hebrew first five books of the Bible, the same as ours in the Bible. And the prophets, and the prophets in the Hebrew Bible weren't just uh, what we would have called the prophets. They also had uh, history in there as well. Books like Joshua and Samuel would have been in there as well. So he's saying it's for everyone. Being right with God is for all people. It fulfills the law. It's for those that have followed the law and it hasn't worked. It's letting down. So here comes the new grace, the new righteousness from God. God hasn't changed his mind. This isn't a plan B. Oh, oh, that didn't work. I better, I better send my own son. No, this was always in God's plan. His plan was always to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus was always the way. Again, in Alpha, we, we had an opportunity. If you like facts and figures, uh, which sometimes I do, it talks about how many prophecies Jesus fulfills, that we can trust in Jesus And it says no one else in history of the world had a collection of books written about them before they were born. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies and 29 of them he did in a single day. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus was always the way to the Father. Jesus is the one that was prophesied and fulfilled them all. So the point is the law and the prophets, they can't save people. They tell us of what this covenant was like, these covenant people. Yet it didn't solve the problem of sin, which is why we need a new covenant. And guess who that is? Who's our new covenant? (laughs) Our new covenant is in the blood of our Saviour Jesus. We can't save ourselves. God's grace is the only way out of our predicament of sin. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes we can be a bit like this chap on the left. We can think salvation is is a DIY project. I've got to fix it. I've got to save myself. I've got to mend that pipe. I've got to sort out that problem in my life. And as Migs reminded us, we can't save ourselves. It's a gift from God. It's the helicopter that we need in our lives. I didn't know Mig was going to say that today, so that's great. We need rescuing. We need the one that can come drop the rope and pull us out of the mess that we're in. Righteousness or being justified freely is being absolved of guilt and being declared right with God. Good enough, perfect, set apart for him. Sometimes I think as Christians we can fall into the trap of kind of trying to earn our salvation. We know it's through faith and yet sometimes... um, we can think, oh, if only I could do it a little bit better, if only I could work harder. It's a bit like when you apply for a job, you know, when you get those crazy long job specs, a bit like the one you gave me when I came here. Actually, you didn't. You were very kind to me, because that one is always Jesus, isn't it? Whenever you're looking for a new minister, Jesus is the answer, (laughs) because there's so much on it. But 
when we look at job specs, we can think, ah, right, okay, if I can just match that up, oh, yeah, they're looking for this person, hardworking, knows how to turn a computer on, all those sorts of things. And you try and tick them off and go, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And we can do that as Christians in our faith. We can go, oh, I know how I can earn my salvation. I know how I can be better. I know how I can be right with God. If only I was more kind, more loving, more generous, then maybe God will love me and I'll secure a place in heaven. These things are rubbish. These things are lies of the enemy. Paul says in his word, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. We can't earn our salvation. He is saying, but now, and here comes the good news in verse 24. Here it is. But now all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. These are dense words. These are big words. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This righteousness or justification that we received is a gift from God. Isn't that amazing? The gift that he gives us, his grace. It isn't earned. It's unmerited gift from a loving God. What an amazing gift. Better than that gift that interrupted my shower. It's the best gift ever. It's the gift of life. We are justified when we receive this gift of grace. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated if any belief was unique to the Christian faith. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis... What a legend. (laughs) C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. I love this. What's all this rumpus about? I mean, just imagine. What's all this rumpus about, he asked. And he heard in the reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, Ah, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is what makes all the difference. God's gift of grace is what sets being a follower of Jesus apart. It's good news for all. For the one who knows they are morally bankrupt and can't do anything in their own strength to earn God's favour. Stops me and you bragging and boasting, saying, oh, look how well I'm doing. It doesn't make them look at me. It makes them look at Jesus. It's a gift of grace. Thank you, Jesus. The crux of salvation is the cross. It's a gift of grace that all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This is good news. This is great news. It's the best news ever that tells us of how a just God can declare sinners like you and me righteous. Pause and have a drink. Paul goes on. He wants them to really grasp this grace that being justified, being made right with God is a gift gift of grace and he wants them to grasp it and he gives them three metaphors that we probably don't pick up on 
But these are three metaphors that I encourage you to dig into a little bit, maybe in your life groups this week. These are metaphors that they would have understood in ancient Rome really easily. The first one he talks about is temple sacrifice. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The second one is the law court justice, the way that the judicial system works. It says this, he, God, did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there's these two images, temple sacrifice and the law court justice system, both which show us the love of God and the grace of God. But the one I want us to pick up on is this third metaphor about slavery and that this, this sort of slave market redemption image where it says this, and all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came from Jesus. As you may remember from our first week, a third of Rome was made up of slaves. It was what built Rome, basically. Without the slaves, they wouldn't have been able to build what they did, to be able to function as a society. Those that became slaves were often captured from victories, from conquests, brought back, no choice, no free will, being worked hard, being worked to death, no freedom. Men and women would have been paraded around, a bit like these images here. Um, Children, men, women of all different ages, with a price tag around their necks, literally sold as a commodity, sold at a price. And when they were sold, that was it. That was their lot. They were trapped in a life of slavery. There was no way out unless someone paid the ransom price. And that word redemption refers to the emancipation, that freeing of someone from another's control, that freedom that a slave could receive if someone else came and paid the ransom price. Redemption. So imagine now that church in Rome hiding in a secret room Fearful, unsure, and then opening the scroll, opening the letter from Paul, and hearing these words, imagining that there'd be slaves amongst them, and hearing these words, and all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. How do you think they would have responded in that moment? How do you think they would have heard that word of redemption? that they'd been ransomed, that they'd been freed by the grace of Christ Jesus. There is one. There is one who's been sent from God, his only son Jesus, that has ultimately paid the price and bought freedom, freedom and redemption for all. And for us today, when we are trapped, maybe we feel like that slave in a market, we're a slave to sin. Jesus died to liberate and redeem you and me. He has paid the price. He has paid that ransom fee. And if you're here listening in the room or maybe online, and maybe you feel like you're trapped and that you can't save yourself, that you can't earn salvation because of the sin that so easily entangles you, Know that you are seen and loved by God 
and that you have Jesus Christ who's paid the price for you and offers you freedom and new life in him as a gift of grace. Come to Jesus and receive the gift of grace afresh today. Allow him to save you, redeem you, pay the price for you and set you free. Andrew Ollerton, who's been written a book that follows this series that we're looking at, he loves um, the film Les Miserables. To my shame, I've, I've still not seen it. I've not watched it. I've not even watched the play. I know, sorry. Get me later. I am going to watch it now because I've found the clip that he talks about in his book. And he says in his book, here, here is a, a scene that captures that idea of being bought at a price, this sense of our redemption, our freedom, at the cost of Jesus. And so we're introduced to this chap, John Valjean, and he's been a convict for 19 years. He's on parole, he's looking for shelter, and he turns up at the bishop's house, and we see him in the night as he wakes up to carry out his plan. If we could just watch this video for a few minutes. Sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gilo, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. Really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. amazing moment of redemption of ransom I just love that scene uh, where the bishop looks him in the eye and he says these words I have ransomed you from fear and hatred 
with this silver I brought back your soul and now I give you back to God. Jesus is the one who's paid the price for our freedom. He has ransomed us with his blood, the ultimate price through his death on the cross. He has redeemed you and me. He has paid the price. He was the lamb that was slain that takes away the sin of the world. Whatever we've done in the past, Jesus sets us free to live a new, transformed life. This is grace. This is our Jesus. So coming back to my question, how can a just and holy God declare sinners to be righteous? Well, we know we can't do it on our own. It's a gift of grace from our loving Father, one we receive by having faith in Jesus. This gift is one of redemption, being ransomed and paid for by Jesus, paid for in his blood. As such, we are declared free, free from the slavery of sin, free from death. We are called righteous. Praise God. Praise God. And briefly, just to finish, the second part. Now that we're declared righteous, how does this enable us to live out the adventure of faith? I'd love to spend more time on this, but looking at the Romans 4 is amazing. It looks at the example of Abraham and Sarah, how they were justified by faith to live out this life of adventure. Abraham is justified by faith. Salvation by faith has always been God's pattern. God reaches out to Abraham and he makes a covenant. He makes an agreement with him. And he says, I will be your people and you will be my God. And so he blesses him. And he takes him out, this image of he takes Abraham outside of his tent and he looks at the stars and he says, so will your offspring be. And Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed in God's promise, and it was given to him as righteousness. And it goes on in the passage to speak about, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so were your offspring being. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, here's the great words, verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Abraham being old, being looking at his life going, I'm nearly dead. My wife's womb is barren. Lord, I trust you. Isn't that amazing? And as we look at our lives, we can say, Lord, help me. Help me to look at my life. I love the adventure that Abraham and Sarah went on. They left their home, travelled 900 miles, living like nomads. They faced threats, made mistakes, gave way to fear. Abraham knew the reality he faced. He knew that he was old. And yet, these great words from John Stott say this. As Abraham contemplated his age and Sarah's barrenness, 
He neither turned a blind eye to these problems or underestimated them, but he reminded himself of God's power and faithfulness. Faith always looks at the problems in the light of the promises. Faith always looks at the problems in the light of the promises. We need to look honestly at the realities that we face today. And I know lots of us are going through different things in our own lives, in our families, with relationships, with pressures that we see. Yet we can have confidence in the power of God, the power of his salvation. I just want to leave you with this question. What does it mean for you and me to look at the promises of God so, let me get it right. <laughs> what does it mean for you and me to look at your problems in the light of God's promises? What struggles, what challenges, what disappointments are you facing today? I really want to encourage you to look at them in the light of God's promises for you. It's easy for each of us to become risk-averse, to not even begin climbing, just to stay at the bottom and not even go anywhere near the crux to not even go for it. But I sense, well, I know, actually, I know that that's not the life that we're called into. We're not called to live a cautious life. We're called to live a bold, adventurous life. I think Matt used uh, this phrase a few weeks ago before Christmas in a talk. He says that sometimes as Christians, we could live, we can live as practical atheists practical atheists, that we know all of these things. We know the power of God. We know the power of the cross. We know the gift of salvation. We know God's grace. And yet we live, and I live, like it's not real, like it's not true, like I don't believe it. And so, as we meditate on God's grace today, the more we see that we're set free from our small-minded, fearful living And instead, I'd love us to become more like the people of faith, like Abraham and Sarah. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have much faith, Mark. I couldn't be adventurous for Jesus. (laughs) No, you can't. No, can I? Because that's me doing my DIY salvation again. We can't do it on our own. The more we grasp and receive the faithfulness of God, he's the one who is faithful. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to me. He's the one that holds us in the palm of his hands, We are safe, we are secure, because nothing can separate us from the love of God. This security brings confidence in Jesus, which in turn causes us to step out in faith. Where is God calling you to step out in faith today? What might it look like for you to be led by the Spirit, to be led in the way of salvation? How are you being encouraged to live out that gift of salvation by living in the promises of God? Maybe for some of us here today, it's the, yes, I believe I need to be baptised. Come, come and speak to me. I'd love to know. We're going to open the baptism pool at Easter. Come and be baptised. Come and take that step of faith. Maybe for others, it's that, Lord, I recognise there's people around me that need to know that righteousness of God. They need to know the salvation that I have. Lord, fill me with your spirit that I may open my mouth, that I may speak to my friends about you. Or maybe you're aware of those that are suffering in the world 
maybe you sense the Lord stirring in you those that are physically trapped in slavery and bondage today and you want to be able to pray for them, you want to speak out for them, you want to make a difference. Find out more. There's organisations like IJM and there's the Praying for the Persecuted Church that we do. All of these things. Lord, stir our hearts, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Maybe you're just called to trust more, as we all are. Despite our fears, despite our uncertainties and disappointments, to know each day that God is faithful, that he has forgiven you. You've been ransomed and paid for by the blood of Jesus. His grace means we can go for it. We can trust him. We can ask. The price has been paid. The crux of the gospel is the cross. It tells us again that the price has been paid. We have been redeemed. We are saved. We are justified freely by grace. Let us run this race that's set before us. And let's not play it safe as practical atheists, but living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us live lives of faith, trusting Jesus and the power of the cross to live bold and generous lives. Amen. Amen.